is the Beyond the Studio podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. And we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Since this is an adult podcast hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language being used. If this might offend ears around you, be sure to pop in your headphones before listening to this episode. So today we have a guest, uh, Christopher Lynn, who is an artist out of New York City, and I met him through my brother and, by the time this airs, sister-in-law, because they get married in less than a month. They met at Yale, and you can you can go from there. Do you want to talk a little bit about your creative background and kind of where you started and up to where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, by the way. And um, of course. I guess I started making yeah, art here. really, really early. I've always been like drawing and painting. As you guys mentioned before, I went to Yale with uh, your brother and then I was studying painting, but now I'm mostly doing sculpture, performance work in some, some ways, um, time-based work. And I sort of stumbled upon that mm-hmm. in the past like five years or so. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I started off making pretty standard oil paintings for a while. Uh, and a few years after graduating from undergrad, uh, I guess I was applying for grad school. I went to grad school. I was working on some paintings that I was okay with. I was happy with the ways that they looked, but uh, when I was talking about them, I wasn't like super happy with the conversations I was having about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really spurred me to change my work in a lot of ways. Uh, so I think I started searching for ways to make the conversations that surrounded my work, the ways that I, what I was really trying to talk about. And was that part of your decision to start applying for grad schools? Was looking for that change in your in the work itself? Um, possibly. I mean, I think I was looking for some ways to sort of push my art making. I wasn't ever really certain I really wanted to be an artist. I mean, I think, uh, I don't think I really wanted to be an artist for a very long time. I just uh, found myself making art after work all the time um, and I couldn't stop making art after work. I would go, come home from like research. And back then I was uh, I was a pre-med in undergrad. I was working in labs for like eight hours a day. I would come home from the lab and I would start painting. So that sort of meant oh, something wow. to me. Um, I would yeah. be prepping canvases. I would be uh, working on, on stuff until like two in the morning and then I'd crash and try to, try to make it back to work. Oh my gosh. So you didn't study painting in undergrad. Um, you were really on a different career trajectory altogether and this was just something that you were doing because you loved it after hours. I think I was straddling it. I think for a lot of my life I was trying to push off making a decision. I don't think the mm-hmm. idea of being an artist was anything really clear to me so I didn't really know what I was envisioning about being an artist um, and a lot of other professions. You can sort of see what that lifestyle is like. Um, you can sort of uh, understand what the day-to-day is um, but as an artist yeah. it was sort of like completely up in the air um, and that's kind of terrifying for like somebody who's like 22 coming out of like undergrad uh and so like when you're sort of grasping for straws just out of college I was just trying to find a job that would pay the bills and mm-hmm. it was something that I was doing while I was in undergrad I was working at a research lab at Yale doing cardiac research so hearts there was something uh that like it, it just didn't really fulfill me that much and it was also kind of like a a tough job. I was uh, doing a lot of work on mice, so oh. there was a sort of moral burden that was uh, that was on me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, that sucks. I mean. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> I I couldn't imagine being in that position, but 
I also don't know what path I would take that would ever get me in that position. (laughs) (laughs) Or you'd be experimenting on mice, you mean? (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe experimenting by giving them lots of hugs and seeing how many they could take. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like awesome research, though. Yeah, and then my cat would be looking at me bitterly, just like calling me a betrayer in... Back of her mind, classic Brussels sprout Betrayer behavior. To the cause. Yeah, yeah. Way to way to love a mouse. How dare you? <laughs> nah, she she knows I love all animals the same. So, uh, when you went to grad school, was that for your MFA? At that point, were you um, sort of making a decision to dive more fully into uh, life as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. I had spent about uh, two years working outside of college before. Um, jumping, like really fully engaging with art as a career or the idea of it. And I think the idea of going to grad school is like a way for me to like fully envelop myself in that lifestyle and also really get the Mm -hmm. connections that I didn't really make in undergrad in terms of the art world. At Yale, most of the people that go there are fairly conservative in terms of what their professions would be. So there weren't, weren't that many people that are sort of creatively minded that are going into creative careers from directly from undergrad. That's so interesting because Yale has like, you know, one of the top grad programs for art. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I did make a lot of friends that were grad students there that I still know today that I see in shows in New York, which is kind of funny. But out in like the sort of in my undergrad class, there was less of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think part of my like reaching out and trying to figure out what I was doing in grad school was trying to figure out what my life as an artist would be and what I was supposed to, what my language was, what my message was, why I was even making art after working a long day, like what that meant. And so what did that look like for you then coming out of grad school? What were some of the first things that you started to do or, you know, how did that start to take shape for you while you were studying and then, you know, shortly after that, um, as you were kind of making the shift from working in labs to, you know, more fully pursuing your career as an artist? Well, let let me like just preface, before I went to grad school, I moved to Chicago. So I was in New Haven for uh, a year after undergrad. And I moved over to Chicago and I took some classes in painting and I was working as like a departmental assistant, doing work as a departmental assistant for like the wooden metal shop for the Art Institute of Chicago. And that's when I started like really figuring out like what it meant to be an artist in terms of like a profession in my own sense. A lot of it had to do with education for me and like teaching. And I think that's sort of where I find myself Mm -hmm. now. Um, And that sort of really made me want to pursue grad school as like a sort of um, option to like Uh, figure out how I would be teaching and how I could be uh, pursuing that line. During grad school, I was like picking up a lot of jobs as like a TA and also teaching jobs at the Museum of Modern Art. I did grad school at Hunter College, so it was sort of right in the downtown mix of New York. It was a really exciting time for me. I was uh, experimenting with a lot of different mediums. In my first year, I was taking a performance class, a sculpture class, a printmaking class, and really trying to explode out everything that I knew about art and really trying to figure out some other definition for it. I think because in a lot of ways, the discussions that I was having about oil painting wasn't really what I was trying to talk about. I wasn't trying to talk about surface or space or gesture. I was trying to talk about different ideas 
ideas. And I think that's sort of where I fell into a sort of more conceptual way of working with materials, with things that were time-based and performative. And uh, coming out of grad school, I've been really lucky to be in a pretty long-term residency that's just down in Tribeca for the past like year and a half. And which one is that? It's called Hercules Art Studio Program. Okay. I'm in like the first group of artists that have sort of started it. So. Oh. How'd you get connected with that? It was kind of a crazy, completely by chance sort of thing. The woman who wanted to start it emailed out to a lot of the grad schools during that time and was looking for artists that wanted studios in New York but couldn't really afford it. So studios in New York are insanely expensive. It's something like... Generally, it's like $3 a square foot. So if you're looking at like a 200 oh, square foot studio, you're paying like $600 a month. Oh, yeah. It's already more than my rent in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's a living rent in most cities. And that's just in order to work. And so the prospects of having a studio in New York are just generally pretty daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're like trying to share a space with somebody or, I don't know, just work working from a home apartment, which a lot of people do. Um, mm-hmm. And so she emailed out to like, I think three of the grad schools in the New York area and was asking for applications, was going around to a lot of the thesis shows. I guess it worked out for me really luckily, and I've been in a really awesome spot for the past year and a half, just being able to work on my work and uh, being able to experiment with sort of, uh, we have like a gallery that's attached to to each of the studios, so we're also trying to figure out programming and how to like put together shows and also how to like invite other people to come in and work with us. Sweet. So Mm -hmm. it's been a really awesome experience and sort of how to get involved with the New York art scene outside of like the sort of structure of school mm-hmm. getting to know like a lot of other artists and curators and having something to offer them and also being able to show people the space that we work in yeah awesome I think I want to say maybe it's while you were in grad school that I actually met you because I met you at there was a show you were in I don't remember what it was called but it was in a church in New York oh yeah I think it was just like a random thing that we had decided to do or I'm sure Matt and Ellie had already had it planned, but they were like, yeah, we're going to a friend's art show. I was like, sweet, sounds great, ready to go. <laughs> and they were like, there will be wine. And I was like, I'm really ready to go. You don't you don't have to <laughs> ask me twice, I'm there. I'm already sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was the first time I had seen your work. I mean, it, it makes sense you coming from a pre-med background because it seems like there's sort of a medical influence in some of your work and definitely a lot of nature-based influences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think- I think like science plays a pretty big role in my work, at least the idea of the scientific method or trying to figure out things um, on a sort of like do-it-yourself way mm-hmm. um, and this sort of procedural way. So I think a lot of the aesthetic I was sort of submerged in by working in labs and also just like slogging up to science classes and sitting in lectures and looking at diagrams and being in front of like flasks and beakers and labeling things, all of that sort of mixes into the way that I make my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of how everyone makes their work they like pull their experiences and try to make something of it but yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah so are you also then involved in in curating the programs and and shows along with the gallery at uh, the residency it sounds like and has that been then just another point of connection for you to other artists in um, the New York art scene? Yeah, absolutely. I personally, um, along with the other artists at Hercules, have created one show 
Um, that was mm -hmm. in, I think, fall of last year. And that was like a whole experience in and of itself. I'd never curated anything. So the amount of paperwork and organization and sort of trying to write a press release with six other writers and like, uh, like trying to create a vision that like was cohesive with six other people that also had really strong ideas for what, what the space should look mm -hmm. like was like a learning experience. But it was also really exciting to be able to bring other people into the fold and really see their work at the center of the attention versus just like always being fully, I guess, involved with my own work. Um, so there was like a, another aspect to not just art making, but uh, sharing art and art experiences that I, I really picked up on. Outside of that, we try to put together like screenings and performance nights. We try to make sure that there's something going on at least every month. So right now we're, it sometimes involves uh, project spaces with our own artists, but also uh, inviting other artists to come by and um, use the space. Uh, also other independent curators to come by to show their visions of what this uh, what this space could be and also their own ideas of through their shows. Yeah, that sounds like just a really great opportunity too to connect with, you know, all these other players in the art world that may be just working as an artist and, and trying to sort of push your own, you know, work out there, uh, maybe not have the opportunity to do. And I really liked what you had to say too about thinking about what you can offer by bringing other people into the space and not having it be all about you know just showcasing your own work and, and what, what you do yeah I think it's sometimes tough because like as an artist you're always trying to figure out ways to show your own work and you're always like uh, I mean I think being in studio it's a very solitary experience and um, it's very introspective but a lot of making like being involved in the art world is also, I guess, involving other people in your process and also sharing what the sort of resources that you have. Because if you're not sharing your resources, you can't really expect other people to share their resources. So it's really just a like a living, thriving thing if you can take mm -hmm. part, take a hold of it, and really share share everything that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think the things that really create a a good atmosphere within the creative community is that generosity of not necessarily the idea of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. But I guess it is sort of similar to that. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, just the mindset of, you know, we can all benefit together. And, you know, you can have a space to show your work, we can be introduced to more clientele and, and audience or viewers or whatever, there's a good balance between that. Yeah, absolutely. I think more so than just this sort of tit for a tat thing, there's also general sharing of ideas that can happen too when you're bringing other people into the space, mm -hmm. uh, especially because like I walk through the gallery every time I go to my studio, it makes a huge difference what work is showing in the gallery, um, whether there's an audio piece in there, a video piece paintings an installation I mean selfishly like I'm living with it fairly often and so these ideas can like bleed into my work and it just forms a whole like space for thinking that becomes something completely different than you could ever envision and that pulls the work in, in a lot of different ways huh? um, I think that was my experience of grad school as well I think being in undergrad I was always taking painting classes and being surrounded by people that were doing work that was pretty similar to what I was making my experience at Hunter was something completely different. I entered in my first year studio sharing it with, I guess one artist was a 
kind of a conceptual artist who was making a lot of drawings and also performances. And the other one was a sculptor that also painted with watercolors and made sorts like these sort of um, narrative stories. And so everything started to draw itself in a lot of different directions just by spending time in my own studio with people that were thinking in completely different ways. And all of the classes that I ended up taking, all this, like the sort of crit seminars were filled with people that were completely interdisciplinary. So you stop having to mm. talk about your work in a purely painting sense or a purely sculptural sense, or you have right. to respond to a, like a performer asking you why your painting is, uh, is important to you. They require different uh, vocabulary and different ideas than the painter next to you. Um, and so does a photographer. And so you're really thinking about um, art as a whole. Um, and that in itself changed my work entirely. Yeah, I, I think I, I had to like ask myself a lot of big questions and try to explore to figure out um, what I was really trying to say and what I was about, why I was making things, um, what made me make things. Yeah, there, there's a lot of big questions. Yeah, I think there's something really important there too, just about developing a language around your work and learning how to communicate your ideas uh, effectively to you know, a lot of different groups of people, both, you know, artists from different backgrounds, maybe, you know, curators or gallerists that you might meet, but also people that are operating maybe totally outside of the art world, quote unquote. And at least looking back on my own experience at art school, and I don't know how if you feel the same way, Amanda, but I feel like so much of it is just about developing that language, which, you know, can have its own problems for sure, but just learning how to communicate what you're doing, um, because you're always having critiques and you know having to sort of get up in front of a large group of people and and talk about what you're doing and why you're doing it and so that practice is so important and it's so great to hear that you know you found a space like that too in new york which itself as a city is such a thriving art scene but i know that i found after school like one of the hardest things too is kind of building up that community uh, again or just finding places where you can have a continuous dialogue around your work and mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's something that you know I've really had or, or gotten to have but um, you know I, I know the importance of it just being in the practice of talking about your work so I'm glad that you said that too. I'm always yeah. curious to know what other artists experiences are working in studios where they are interacting with other artists because the studio that mm -hmm. I have is in my home. And granted, I do right, share it yeah. with my husband, Mike, who is a musician. So we do have that creative dialogue, but it I know how hard it is for me to give him a critique about the music that he's been working on. And I'm sure it's similar with him trying to critique what I'm making. Cause when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And he's like, what about this element? Can you like find this? And does that sound right? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I didn't even notice it. And he's like, Hmm, maybe that means it's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> don't, don't scrap it on my behalf. But I bet that's helped you sort of develop a more, you know, acute sense of the music that he's making. Yeah. Yeah. True. I wanted to ask, uh, when you were talking about the influences of, you know, studio mates and, uh, people that are, having like guest shows in the gallery because you are working at the MoMA, right? Yeah. Do you find being in that environment is also super inspiring? And do you take a lot of 
what you experience at work into the studio as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard not to. I think part of why I was really interested in working in a museum and also working in education was to always be surrounded by ideas and by work that I was really excited about. So I'm like really lucky to have a job where I get to go into work and talk about artwork that I'm really, really excited about and share that with people and share why why I'm excited about it and see how it might excite other people, how it might bore other people. Mm -hmm. um, so how it also grows for me every single time I teach from that work. So are you in the education department there? Or yeah, what? I work at the education department. Okay. I work with... Uh, K through 12, so for the school and teacher programs, and I also work for the teens program for different classes. Uh, I guess they're they're sort of in the making classes. Yeah. Okay. And I I don't know how I have not mentioned this yet, but uh, <laughs> Nicole works at the SF MoMA. So oh, awesome. Not affiliated, right. but I'm. <laughs> I'm in a MoMA sandwich here. Right. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea how many times people will come in with tickets from the New York MoMA or they'll like download the, the other MoMA app on their phone or something and you have to point out to them that there's actually, you're in a different museum in a different city. You're in a different city. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, different time zone, different side of the country. <laughs> You know, yeah. not not the same. There's no bridge connecting the two. Yeah. Easy mistake. That would be nice, um, though. That's really cool. Though. So how long have you been working there? And then is that job, is that full time or is that... Um, Something that you do part-time alongside your studio work? Uh, so I've been working at the MoMA for, I want to say, four years now for like a very various positions in like the education department. In the current sort of uh, school and teacher programs job where I'm not technically full-time, I end up teaching about three classes a day, usually five days a week, two to three classes a day, five days a week. So I, I start teaching around nine and finish around two o'clock and gives me a little bit of time if I'm like uh, if I have tons of energy to head to studio for a while and um, get some work done but during the summer like right now it's super chill like during the school year while the school year is off since we work with schools we don't really teach during that time so I pick up other classes during the summer just on a more like freelance basis like probably one or two classes a week okay um so which gives me plenty of time to work in the studio awesome what have um what have been some of the other experiences that you've had since grad school or since you've been in new york that you feel like have been really influential to your work or to your path as an artist it sounds like the residency is one and then working at moma and you know just getting exposed to that collection and then getting to teach as well has been another yeah um i think like there's just so many artists in New York. It's hard for that not to be a huge um, part of it, not just within my residency. People that are coming in for a few years to work. Um, I have friends that I knew from high school that have moved over to New York, and it's been awesome sort of introducing them to the scene around New York, doing studio visits, and also checking out a lot of the gallery shows around town. Um, there's just so much going on that sometimes, like the first year or two, it was just completely overwhelming. There's openings Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, multiple openings every day. So like the idea of trying to see everything um, is just completely daunting and actually absolutely impossible. So you end up like having to deal with this, like how am I going to like tackle being involved and trying to see what I care about and letting that affect me without like completely overwhelming myself with the experience of trying to drink from like a, a fire hose. Um, which it can oftentimes feel like yeah. uh, there's just 
tons of work going out all the time. And, and there's also like the converse side of that when you're like also trying to show your work in the midst of that. There's always so much going on that it's often hard to uh, make your opening stand out over others. Um, but I think like just being able to drop by a lot of the shows which are happening all the time, checking out all the work that's going on has also been really awesome. Yeah. Um, all the different work, the different kinds of work that show up in Chelsea or the Lower East Side or in Bushwick or... Um, in Queens, there's just a lot of different scenes going on and a lot of different ways of working. And so it really reveals to me like the complete possibility of being an artist. You can take any sort of route and make mm -hmm. it work. Yeah, that's kind of a great segue too into maybe talking a little bit about your own experience showing your work in New York. Um, I was looking at your website and I saw that you have, um, along with you know the residency that you're a part of, pretty active exhibition history so far and you've shown with some really great spaces like Ethan Cohen Gallery in New York and Flux Factory. So can you talk a little bit about just how some of those opportunities came about and then maybe how you've been going about um, getting your own work out there and um, building up that list of exhibitions that you've been a part of? Yeah, um, I think from the start, I think uh, one of the things I always really try to do is just really apply for everything. Like, no shame. Just like every time I see an open call that I think I'm like really interested mm -hmm. in, just put the work out there. And then once you get your foot in the door, there's like a certain amount of momentum that you can ride, which whether it's luck or just grit, continuing to try to work at it and try to like, make the connections that you need to make. I have been able to sort of string together some shows, um, some piggyback off of others. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's completely luck-based. You go to an opening, you talk to someone about your work, and they happen to be putting a show on that has something to do with what you're working on and um, the stars align. And there's also often lots and lots of rejections. So, so like, uh, there's just a, a lot of... Uh, luck and trying hard and also also luck <laughs> i think yeah it's, it's hard for that not to be a part of it what um, are some of the places that you look to or where do you see these open calls are there like specific resources that you're using yeah um so one of the one the resources that has been really useful for me um has been new york foundation for the arts so it's nifa mm -hmm. n-y-f-a dot org i believe and that posts a lot of like these sort of open call classifieds and also uh, residencies and sort of grants that are being sent out. And those are often like those sort of cold applications. So you never really know how many people are applying or even what chance that you have. But there's certain ways that I try to filter it. I really am generally suspicious of like those uh, application fee open calls where like it just seems like a money grab. But uh, mm -hmm. outside of those, I try to apply for I guess, uh, ideas that I'm really interested in that, that I have work that I've been sort of conceptualizing at the time. Um, and that seems to be the strongest aspect for me. I'm really trying to find shows that um, really fall in line with the work that I'm making that are based on the ideas that I'm interested in talking about. Because I think for me, art is all about ideas and how to talk about them and how to make them felt and understood in a way. So I think that's what curators are looking for also. And they can tell whether something's authentic or whether something's just trying to be forced into a box. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious because it seems like a lot of your, or most all of your work is installation based. Um, mm -hmm. The shows that you're applying to then, do you already have the work made and then you're um, installing it, you know, for that 
particular space or is it more that you're proposing a project that you would do specifically for that show you know based on ideas you've been thinking about um i think it's probably a healthy mix of both i think um a lot of the shows that i do uh that i'm really excited about proposing or, or i guess applying for are shows that i have not made the work for and um, when I read the sort of uh, open call or I read the ideas that they're trying to propose, just ideas flash through my head and I want to make something happen. And I just start making drawings that, like, that start planning the process and submit the drawings and writing mm -hmm. and ideas. Um, and sometimes the work is already made. Um, I don't really have any problems with showing work that I've already shown before. So I think like once a work has been made uh, and it also fits another show, I'm happy to show it again. Mm -hmm. I think it only makes sense for the like the life of that object to be like shared as many times as it can. So I think sometimes uh, the work is made and that makes it like super easy. I can just install the work. But um, the the shows that I'm really excited about are ones where I, like it's really it's just a, a living process. It's a, an idea that I'm trying to flesh out with the space and with the curator. It's site specific. It has um, problems that happen during installation. There's like some like entanglements. There's things that like I have to sort of wrestle with as I'm making the work itself. Um, and that makes it like a living, breathing thing, which I get really excited about. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily even like you have this just running list of proposals in the backlog that you're waiting to submit to shows. It's more that, you know, you have these ideas circulating maybe. And then when you see a call or you talk with a curator who's, you know, kind of putting together something similar, then that sort of helps you manifest some of the ideas that that you've had? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I, th I think it's like, honestly, a lot of all of those things. There's works that I, that are like knocking around in my head that I just write down. And I think since a lot of them are time-based or performative in a way, unless there's a place to show them, they're really not going to be realized because there's a sort of pouring of resources and time um, and materials that would otherwise be uh, sort of lost if I didn't share them with people. And so um, the ideas that haven't found a place to show often sort of like sit dormant. Um, sometimes a show will really, or a space will be perfect for an idea that I've had that I've been mm. wanting to work on for a long time. And I think since a lot of my work involves plants or involves, uh, it needs light or it needs a certain kind of space, um, I often am looking for the right, the right space to show the work uh, with the right conditions, the right working conditions, the right amount of time to show and all of those sort of need to work together to make the work possible. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about uh, how you fund your projects. Is this something that you personally are paying for all of the pieces of work or do you create them for the purpose of being sold or are you getting grants to, to fund your ideas? Yeah, uh, so I've been lucky to get a grant coming out of grad school that has been able to help me out for a long part of the process of um, funding materials. And also a lot of the, the materials that I use are also found objects. So I'm like a constant forager. <laughs> like I, and in, on the streets of New York, that's like a really easy thing to do. There's lots of stuff that people are throwing out all the time. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Just, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and so being able to turn that into things and turn that into ideas makes the sort of funding of it a little easier. Sometimes the 
the shows that I've worked with offer um, stipends to make the work, um, and that can often help out. But uh, it's it's um, with certain certain works, there's just no way around just having to like invest in the materials and the process. Mm-hmm. Especially during grad school, I was funding all of that myself. Yeah, um, because I was just trying to make the work. At this stage, there's a healthy mix of um, trying to find people that want to see the work, also um, that are willing to help out, um, and also scavenging and um, trying to figure out ways to make the work possible outside of just going broke. Yeah. So a lot of being savvy and clever about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, one, one installation I'm working on now is like involves like a ton of blinds. Um, and blinds are kind of like uh, these sort of Venetian blinds that like sort of swivel back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed like, I think something like uh, 200 feet of blinds. <laughs> Um, so I was just scavenging across the streets of New York, especially this summer, because uh, people are moving in and out in this month. So there's just like every time I see like a bundle of blinds Prime on the sidewalk, I st- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I stop. I like I like have to stop what I'm doing. I'm like going to a bar with some friends. I'm like, sorry guys, this is <laughs> like this is like literally two hundred dollars <laughs> worth of materials here. I can't let this sit. Like it's probably covered in dog piss. But uh, you know, there's like a life to it, and um, and that. <laughs> That's like super exciting for me, like the little things, you know. Yeah, I. I so does your studio just that. look like you're a hoarder? Like you just have collections of objects that you might use for future works? Oh yeah, my studio is like, uh, it, it's like a hoarder's dream. I, I have like a corner that's just full of random objects. Um, like there's an air conditioning unit, a grow lamp, like just tons of blinds, as I said. (laughs) Just like lots of objects that I just end up collecting. And oftentimes with my own work, it's, uh, it starts with materials. I'm like super material oriented. So if I see something, um, I just know that I'm attracted to that object and it says something to me and I want to do something with it. I don't even know whether it's going to be something in like a year, in a month, in two years, or like five years. Yeah. Um, and some objects uh, have sat in my studio for a while and after not touching them for like two years, I'll clean them and find a home for them and it'll feel so perfect. Yeah. Um, and that's super exciting. Um, so I'm like always trying to collect things that are really interesting, whether it's like a rock that I see when I'm hiking or like a feather or like just trash on the street. That's pretty critical to the way that I, I, I make my work. Man. Just always hoovering stuff up. I'm sure Alyssa is really glad that you have a studio and are not bringing all of those things <laughs> home. Although, oh, yeah. would probably be into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right now, we do currently have like another 27 feet of blinds in my apartment that she's super excited to move out. Uh, and I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix because I, I pick up stuff on the way home and uh, I'm like a dog with a big stick sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I mean, I get that way with actual big sticks. Like today I went on a walk <laughs> with my parents and I was like, guys, this log is perfect. Help me carry it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. You got to find your materials wherever you can, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're paying for a studio and you're paying for just the ability to work, it's mm-hmm. just like a crazy idea just to start with. Um, any any ways that you can sort of figure out a way to, to not be spending tons of money is uh, is always helpful. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and in terms of materials, I love objects that feel like they've had a life before um, that provide some sort of context. So I will often prefer an object that is discarded to a new version of that just because of the sort of weight mm. that it has. So yeah, I, I, 
I, I love I love finding finding objects and finding other people's trash and incorporating it into something that isn't necessarily beautiful but is uh, meaningful. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Do you have any advice? for listeners regarding finding grants or finding a studio or getting into shows? In terms of like how to apply for things, you just apply for everything that you might be interested in. Um, it's better to be rejected for something and to have them have, have like seen the work that you proposed or even like know that you're an artist out there in the world than to just not send anything out at all. Keep an updated CV, keep an updated resume, have a website. It's pretty critical to have a website. Yes, it's hard to like put your work out there unless uh, you have some way for people to access the images or your ideas outside of just sort of describing your work. Yeah. Um, which is often just not um, satisfactory for, for someone that's like trying to show your work. Yeah. So just looking ahead for you, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you have a lot going already with your work at the MoMA and then your own studio practice and just continuously applying to opportunities and exhibiting your own work and then also working with the residency. Um, But I'm curious, you know, what are some of the things maybe that you see going forward? Do you feel like you have a really great dynamic between all of those things, reinforcing each other um, now that you just like to maintain or, you know, ideally, would you love to shift um, either to towards receiving more or larger or you know just exhibiting your work exclusively or uh, what's your your picture for um, the future of your you know work in life um, maybe within the next five or so years yeah uh, I think there's always like these uh, these like really big um, lofty goal places that I would love to show at that like I always have my eye on uh, so like the Socrates sculpture park like it's a wonderful park that like shows art outside public sculpture um, and they have like emerging artist fund that like funds um, a lot of artists to sort of make the work that they are really interested in and sharing with people and it's just out in Queens and it's open to the public um, so I've really been interested in figuring out ways to show work in public spaces for me a lot of where I find success in making work is how I can share it and the sort of um, venues and uh, avenues through which it can be seen. Art to me is like an experience and since a lot of it is time-based and will fall apart unless like people are actually going to see it and making themselves present within the work and actually consuming it in a way it hasn't really it it isn't really like living for me so I think there's like these sort of venues that are like really goals for me to to try to find a way to show in I think there's always these sort of ebbs and flows in the studio process also that make it hard to make like really concrete goals in terms of like I want a solo show every year like it sometimes like the work comes slower sometimes it comes really quickly and you don't have enough time to make all of it so like Mm -hmm. learning how to ride those waves is uh been a really critical thing for me just coming out of grad school where like I felt like I had all the time in the world to make everything and then suddenly you're faced with like going to work five days a week and then like trying to fit in the time to make those ideas possible but you're just tired um and you have to walk your dog and (laughs) Like, there's just, like, real-life things. Um, yep. <laughs> and so, like, riding those waves and trying to figure out ways to, like, make them all come into sync and um, mm-hmm. is super important. And so I don't try to, like, put too many, like, heavy goals on myself, but mm-hmm. um, it's always nice to get grants. It's always nice to show. I just want to make, be, like, ha- I guess I always want to be making the work I really care about and finding ways to make that possible. Mm-hmm. 
So do you have a really consistent um, schedule for being in the studio or is it even a little more open-ended than that? Like, are you going there, you know, nearly every day after work or does it really just depend, like you said, on that ebb and flow, what your, you know, your studio schedule is looking like? I would really love to be the artist that just goes in every day and just cranks at it and like is always constantly working on something and damn, like I made like a painting a day. That would be like a really amazing thing to feel at the end of the day but uh that's just not the way that i tend to work um i work on like a much more obsessive level like sometimes i'll i find myself in studio very very late and i haven't eaten dinner and that's when like i know i'm like really really in it and i'm like going to studio like every day for like a month because like i have a deadline coming up and i just really need to crank out the work so i think like for me it's it's much more of like following the ebbs and flows rather than like a set schedule but i think every artist has that anxiety about whether or not they're in studio enough even people that are in studio every day have that anxiety of like whether or not they're making enough work and i always like am asking myself if i haven't like made something in like a week, a month, am I still an artist? Like, there's like, like really crazy questions, you know, yeah. that are like completely anxiety based, um, just start creeping in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. But. And I'm sure Amin and I, you and I have both experienced that in our own way too. And so I think that's sort of what drove the question for me, because one of the things that I really had to accept was, you know, how that fits within just other life obligations and how you know, depending on the, the season of life that you're in, you know, how much you have to devote to your work. And there's also, you know, a, a kind of studio time, I think, that is happening outside of the actual making or the work that you're doing in the studio that maybe we don't give ourselves credit for either. Like when you're yeah. walking your dog and you're, you know, just kind of mulling over something that you were talking about with someone or, you know, those kinds of things that are really important to the development of your work. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's like a this input and output phase. Like sometimes you just really need to just be like inputting everything and like living new experiences in order for you to have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the process of making too. It sometimes it doesn't feel like work, but mm -hmm. um, it's critical to having something to say and having something um, that you feel strongly about. And sometimes when like things get a little stale, like um, you feel like you've been making the same thing too many times. Sometimes you just need to like go out and and go for a hike or go get go out of the city go to the beach and like look at the light for me like it's those little things that really spur me to go back in so uh yeah the, you're absolutely right there's like a lot of ways to be working outside of just cranking out more work yeah mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely something that I struggle with a lot. I know there are times where I'm like, how many more tiny felt mushrooms am I going to make before I just want to throw them all away? Like when is when will I reach that point? Because there are there are so many times where I'm like, I'm tired. I want to do something new, but like these are what sell and this is what helps pay my bills. So I don't know if I can take that plunge and try something totally different. But then at the same time, when I allow myself to finally take a break and be like, okay, I'm going to actually go exercise or read a book or, you know, play a video game or just relax on vacation and not bring stuff with me to work on, I still find myself feeling guilty where I'm like, I should be working. I should be creating art right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I still don't know how to, how to totally balance that. But I think as I get a little bit older and have more of these conversations, I feel like I can walk away with a little bit more kindness to myself and 
knowing that, you know, life is about the entire experience and art is a big part of that. But if your entire experience becomes just about making art, it's a really quick way to burn out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Burning out is, uh, is something that like happens to a lot of artists and also like happens to me often. So Mm -hmm. like, I think there's like a process of learning when to back off. And for me, taking in new experiences and find, finding something to feel really strongly about because that's, that's where my work comes from. Um, feeling things yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so being in a city like new york um and just having the experiences you've had are there any things that you witness other artists doing or you know things that have worked really well for them as sort of like common threads uh just looking at you know maybe other artists whose careers you might kind of aspire to achieve something similar or even like you mentioned some of the public spaces that you'd really love to show your work in are there you then looking around to other artists and sort of how they've gotten there and then backtracking or I'm just curious if there's any insights that you've taken just through being surrounded by so many other artists and creatives and um, you know what you're learning from just looking around at what other people are doing yeah absolutely there's like a lot of spaces that I find just from going to friends shows and I'm like that's an amazing space and like that would be like an awesome place for this idea that I've been like knocking around in my brain and also I have like uh, mentors people that like I I look up to that I like see the Mm -hmm. sort of paths pathways and how they make their work and how they make connections um, the way that they market themselves to people the way that they present themselves either like as a sort of artistic character and how they actually are in person because there's actually a huge difference between those two um the ways that an artist presents themselves versus what they actually are um and oftentimes like it's 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 hard not to be like uh, sort of lost in that like oh my gosh I'm doing so 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 well and is constantly showing and not just being like wait we're all like just cranking at it and really trying to like work at work at it as like individual artists and we're all human um we all have ebbs and flows yeah I think um just getting to know artists and like seeing seeing who they are outside of just their artistic personas like outside of like the openings where they're like the center Mm. of attention going to their studios and seeing like the sort of nitty-gritty of their artistic processes yeah I, i love doing studio visits with artists like you really get a sense of like what's going on in their brain and what that space looks like do you have uh any experiences, and I love asking this because I have had many of them, but uh, essentially experiences where either you have failed or everything just kind of fell apart or didn't work out the way you anticipated? And if so, what did you learn from it or take away from it? Um, sorry, there's like, there's like some construction going on. That's fine. Can you, can you, okay, sorry about that. Um, okay, well, I'll just ignore it. <laughs> It's okay, we've addressed it. So in terms of failure, uh, I think there have been works that I've like conceptualized or I've proposed that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. And this sound is super distracting. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a grinding of like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, just New York street work. That's okay. It's so late. I think like oftentimes like uh, this is like the the noise of New York. There's like either like NYPD or like construction going on at any time. I think, oh, okay. So there was uh, one show that I did that involved a ton of plants. Oh, this like killed me to my core. It was an installation. I had grown a hundred of these plants from seed for a year. Um, Wow. And they eventually found their way into like this installation that I did. 
that was up at a gallery for two months. And there was like a ton of drama that happened in the gallery for like in the middle of the show, which involved the curator leaving and just a lot of stuff that went down. And when uh, I came back in for the deinstall, all the plants were dead. Uh, and I was just like completely heartbroken um, because this was like something that like had ended up being like an extension of me and my efforts and my care and like for anyone that like grows plants like yeah Amanda like you're probably cringing one. I know I'm like yeah. oh my heart anytime I lose one yeah. I feel like I've lost my like a spawn <laughs> of mine yeah Recently, one of my, like a plant that I was working on in my studio was like moved to the trash area and was thrown out and that also just destroyed Ugh. me. So like there's things that you can never really plan for that are just so, so, so tragic. <laughs> some, some people just don't see certain things as art and uh, yeah, it just happens. And some people yeah, are just... there's this element of trust too whenever you bring absolutely. your work out of your studio that... It's going to be taken care of. Absolutely. Um, and I think that like adds like a certain level of anxiety for me whenever I'm working with like a living object to make sure that like at this point, like now that I've had those experiences, to make sure that the proper resources are there and that the proper people are there to care for it and the protocols are there to make sure that like these things are taken care of in the right way. And also like even if those things are all set to be constantly checking in on it because no matter how much you trust people, it's still your work in the end of the day. So it'll hurt you the most no matter what. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I always, I don't know if it's like a, a cynical part in me, but I like to know when other people have struggled and had their own problems because every time something like I hit a huge roadblock or a hurdle, I'm like, does anybody else deal with this? Because this is stupid. Why is this happening? <laughs> Yeah, I've, roadblocks happen all the time, and also failures happen all the time. Like failures, not just when I'm showing work, but failures in the studio where I have this awesome idea and I'm super excited to like make it happen, and I've gotten all the materials ready, and then it's just like I look at it once it's made, and I'm like, nah, <laughs> this is this is just uh, this is going to need a lot more work, and that's. Honestly, that ha probably happens with most of the work. I think for me, failure is kind of necessary for making really good work. Like uh, struggling with it at least once and mm -hmm. for the viewer to see that struggle and to see you, like the artist, really trying to figure out ways to make that come alive again. Yeah. Otherwise, the work can sometimes can come across as too easy or too prescripted or prescribed. And so I think sometimes I look forward to failure. Sometimes I'm like, when I'm in failure, I'm just like, oh my God, why? <laughs> why is this happening to me? Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's a constant thing. And I think if it's not, then you're probably not looking at your own work that hard. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's something else you've said a couple times um, that I really like, which is in relation to your work itself, that it is this living, breathing thing, uh, quite literally just with the use of plant life and you know actual life objects, but then also the community that you're a part of, the kind of art world at large being this living, breathing ecosystem, which I just think is a really beautiful analogy and that you know these are are things that are alive that are 
that need care, you know, and that it's it's all about what you. There's always that give and take, I guess, um, is what mm-hmm. I'm sort of taking from some of what you've said about you know relationships with with other artists, with communities, and then with your own work. Yeah, absolutely. I think just being open to change and yeah, and and allowing people in, allowing the work to change, allowing the work to be something that you didn't even think it was going to be from the start, allowing people into your workspace. All these things really breathe life into the process of making work and make the making of work and make make the showing of work and the experience of of art in general much more exciting for me. Do you have uh, any advice that's been given to you by either a mentor or a teacher or another artist that really has impacted the way that you create work? I've had a friend who once described uh, like a really good work as a phantom and I thought that was a really interesting idea um, that sometimes you make a work and you don't even know where it comes from and it's like too good for you to have made mm-hmm. and uh, it like sometimes you're just chasing that phantom again and I just always loved that idea that like sometimes this thing comes through you and you don't even know how a work came to be and sometimes it's just like it's it's so far outside of you and you'll find it again but sometimes it's important not just to continue to chase that also other like bits of advice it's just like a really great description of like the working process that i think is really interesting outside of that there's just constantly applying for things really just not being afraid of failure because uh there's really no greater failure than just not putting yourself out there because it doesn't really matter how many things you make in your studio part of the other half of art making is showing the art and especially with my work if it's not experienced then it'll just sort of fall apart on its own so uh trying to balance both the making the showing the getting getting other people involved in the process as much as possible is uh is, is pretty critical for me. Yeah, I love that analogy of a phantom. I feel like it is uh, very similar to the original concept of a genius. Like now we see genius as, you know, when you're mm-hmm. super smart and the or kind of original concept behind it was that it was almost the spirit of creativity and of genius that would just randomly encounter people and influence them. And I can't remember if it's, possibly in like ancient Greek mythology or I I could be completely wrong. Yeah, the muse. Yeah. 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 And I I mean, I think you and I both have read that book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she has a really um, great description of that too. Yep. That same idea. That's very true. So uh, Chris, where can people find your work if they want to take a look at it online? I have a website. It's ChristopherLynnStudio.com and it should have most of my recent work up there and also just uh, general like updates on where I am showing if I am showing at the time. Great. And we always include links to any resources that are mentioned throughout an episode. Um, But is there anything else that you wanted to share? Any resources that you would want us to include uh, that others might find helpful? I mentioned NIFA before, New York Foundation for the Arts. Um, If you're interested in uh, museum education in New York, NICMER, N-Y-C-M-E-R.org is like the sort of organization that puts together a lot of the classifieds for educator jobs uh, in New York City, and that's been really great. Um, great. That's something I pass around to artists that uh, are looking for education jobs. Awesome. Great. That is great. I'm sure we have plenty of people in New York. I think I checked the analytics, and there are more than five. (laughs) (laughs) Just get it going. Yes, this is for you guys. (laughs) What's up, New York? (laughs) Cool. (laughs) 
anything else you would want to say or mention? Um, studio snacks, really important. Always have snacks in your studio. <laughs> <laughs> like, geez, uh, oh, I'll like echo I that. There's really nowhere to get a bite to eat around my studio, and I feel like I never have enough food there. And it sometimes really dampens your productivity. So yeah, when you're like get really grumpy, gotta have studio snacks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also have like a soft surface to sit on or nap on in the studio, because like otherwise you're gonna go home if you're not like working from home. Like you just have some soft surface like chill out on so you're not like always on edge i don't know i like making my studio comfortable that's uh, it keeps good me advice there. that is very good advice well thank you so much yeah no problem yeah. thank you for having me of course Absolutely. that's it for this episode of the beyond the studio podcast you can find show notes references and a brief summary of the episode over at our website beyond the dot studio While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our email list where we have all kinds of exclusive content that we only have available to our subscribers. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes because it helps and helps other artists to find us. So tell your friends. So these ideas can like bleed into my work and they form a whole new world. I just started thinking about the Latin song. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Done. It's over. Complete. Cut. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all.